The presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix. Now presenting the documentary series, Escaping Twin Flames. From Emmy nominee Cecilia Peck, this three-part documentary series pulls back the veil on Twin Flames Universe, a controversial online community that preys on people looking for love. Den of Geek says it tackles one of the more interesting subjects that streaming has in some time. Escaping Twin Flames is available now on Netflix. Do you have a logline of the film? I sure do. All children from around the world deserve the right to read books from everywhere and about all things. Hi, I'm Ken Jacobson and welcome to Top Docs. Today we're talking to producer and co-director Trish Adlesic about the documentary The ABCs of Book Banning, which was directed by Sheila Nevins. The film has been nominated for the Oscar for Best Documentary Short Film. The ABCs of Book Banning had its world premiere at the Woodstock Film Festival in September 2023 and can be streamed now on Paramount+. Trish Adlesic is an Oscar and Emmy-nominated documentary producer for her work on Gasland and Gasland Part 2. Trish also has over 20 years of experience working in narrative filmmaking and television. In the ABCs of book banning, we see a parade of some of the world's most important literature, which has been banned, restricted, or challenged in various school libraries and public libraries. Just seeing those book covers, even if we're aware that this has been happening, is still a jolt to the system. But that really pales in comparison to seeing and hearing the reactions of fourth graders from Mrs. Burns' class in Jacksonville, Florida. These students' passion for books and the sense of loss that they feel for the knowledge and stories that are being denied to them is truly upsetting and a call for action. As usual, if you like this interview, please follow us and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend. Also, please follow us on Instagram at TopDocsPod and on Twitter also at TopDocsPod. And now, my conversation with Trish Adlesic, the producer and co-director of the ABCs of Book Banning. Trish Adlesic, welcome to Top Docs. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you, Ken. Well, it's great to have you, and congratulations on the ABCs of book banning being nominated for an Oscar. Perhaps I would add it's unfortunate that this film needs to get made in the first place, but I think it's important that, that you have done so and called attention to this issue. And so my first question is, in 2024, what does it take to get a book restricted, challenged, or banned? Unfortunately, it doesn't take much. It just takes one parent's objection, and it goes through a cycle immediately. And generally, in most states, it goes through a cycle of immediately being removed out of circulation from the library and the classroom in that particular school district. So if one parent raises a question, generally, there's an outside representative that gets hired by the school district to come in and investigate the books. So it doesn't take much, unfortunately. And because it doesn't take much, would you say that things are getting worse in this regard? Is this happening more frequently? Yes, it is. Actually, when we finished the film in August 2023, there were approximately 2,000 banned books in America. Currently, there are over 6,000 banned books in 41 states. And largely, there's an organization, Moms for Liberty, 
that have chapters in every state, and they're being quite successful in orchestrating these bans through some of the mothers. It is quite concerning because children that can't afford to order books on Amazon don't have a place to get the books. It's also sending such mixed messages to children that you should be afraid of these books. There's something about these books that are bad. And when we look at what these books are comprised of, we look at what the books are actually about, their women's rights, their Black history, their Jewish history, their LGBTQ plus books. They're all the things that collectively our stories matter. So when we delineate that certain stories shouldn't be told, we're discriminating. That's really painful for people that are dealing with these issues. And also kids want to learn. And they don't really, most of the kids we met don't want their shelves purged of the truth. Speaking of the kids that you met, as you say in the film, an inner title, the voices of those who support book banning have been heard. This film features the voices of those who have not been heard, the children. And we're then introduced to Mrs. Burns's fourth graders in Jacksonville, Florida, who tell us about some of the books being censored in their school and what it means to them to have those books removed. How did you find this Mrs. Burns and her amazing fourth graders? I'd love to hear that story. We were doing a lot of research across the country and looking to see if kids had spoken out about book banning. And we saw the clip on a local Florida news channel, and I immediately contacted the reporter and thanked the reporter for having these wonderful young women speak about their books being removed and their requirement to help remove the books in some cases and talking really candidly about the books they were currently reading and what they thought about it. So we actually licensed that clip from that local station, but we did wind up talking to the girls and their parents about it and how they're doing and what we can do to help them. And they're really excited to be in the film because they feel strongly that they want to read it. They want to read everything. And how refreshing is that to have 10-year-olds <laughs> fighting book banning and saying, let us have the books. We can handle it. I mean, and we, of course, support and advocate for age-appropriate reading. We don't expect the wrong age group to be reading books that are too sophisticated or advanced for them. So when the, the counter argument is like, oh, these books are inappropriate for kids, when you look at a book like Dim Sum for Everyone, it's about dim sum. It's about Chinese food. What is dangerous about reading about a different culture's food? It's often it doesn't make any sense why the book is being banned. But those girls are quite wonderful, and I hope one of them becomes president someday. Sometimes, though, as you indicated earlier, there is a reason why the book is being banned. Throughout the film, we see a parade of books such as, you know, Slaughterhouse-Five, Go Tell It on the Mountain, Beloved, The House on Mango Street, Mouse, some of the most acclaimed literature of our time. It just, the list just goes on and on. It's clear that sometimes it doesn't seem like there's rhyme or reason to these challenges, but other times, and Mrs. Burns' students astutely point this out, there are books about racism, LGBTQ stories, girls' empowerment, and history that are among these books. Were you surprised? I, I mean, I was. Were you surprised to see that students as young as eight, nine, 10, are realizing that there is a specific political agenda behind some of these actions. I was surprised, actually. I was pleasantly surprised that they were aware and activated to give voice to it, to really speak to it in such an extraordinarily sophisticated way, I should say. I don't recall when I was 10 years old having that ability, but I was relieved. 
when I heard their thoughts and feelings. And these were kids in Florida, from Florida to New York. And it was refreshing because they were so articulate and well-versed in what was really happening. I don't think, I mean, they learned from books, but they're seeing life around them. They may have a gay uncle. They're going to school with people that are different from themselves. They're looking at social media, potentially. They're looking at movies that have storylines that are about other people's lives and our collective stories. So I was really relieved, honestly, because I part of me was, you know, we weren't sure what the response would be from the kids. And I actually, before doing this project, didn't realize how bad book banning had escalated currently. We're not talking from like the 50s and 60s. We're talking the last few years in America, you know, books being banned and the rapid pace at which they are being banned to have 41 states banning books. And this isn't only Southern states. This is Massachusetts. I don't know if you saw recently in Great Barrington, Mass, a police officer went into a middle school looking for Maya Kobab's book, Gender Queer. That teacher has taken a permanent leave of absence. And there was such an outcry in the community. The police chief apologized. We saw a story last week in Ohio where drag queens were getting ready to do a drag queen story hour. And the, the police saw that somebody was going to burn the church down. So it, book banning leads to all kinds of intimidation tactics and threats. It's not just books. It's what book banning represents instilling fear and trying to control people's minds, what people learn about the world we live in today. It is frightening. But I would also say it's heartening from your film, again, because you are giving voices to those who have not been heard, the children, to hear that they're not really willing to accept this as a fait accompli. They are going to do whatever they can to get access to these books. They are, but kids in certain states, you know, like Tennessee in particular, is very strict on these charges. It's a felony in some states for a librarian to have a banned book in circulation, for classroom to have the book. And in Tennessee, it's also a felony for the bookseller to try to sell the book. So it's getting more extreme in terms of the consequences. A felony charge for having a banned book? You can go to jail for a felony. It, it ruins your record for your rest of your life. To make those kinds of threats to teachers and to everyone involved with the books and circulating books and reading books. On the cover of the New York Times yesterday, the lead article was about librarians and libraries being under threat and what's coming next that libraries are going to get fines for having banned books and things of that nature. Yeah, I would add that I primarily live in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and my librarian at the Garland County Library, Adam Webb, the director of the library there, is one of 18 plaintiffs that's suing in federal court against Arkansas's bill that was passed last year that is put basically threatening to put librarians in jail if they don't follow certain requirements. I mean, put librarians in jail? Put that in quotes and let that sink in for a minute. That is appalling to me as an American citizen to think that my librarian would be put in jail for having Nikki Giovanni's Rosa Parks in the library. Again, I go back to, we absolutely support age-appropriate books, but we celebrate our differences and our collective differences is what makes us a great society. And by harboring these books and not allowing kids to read them, how are they supposed to learn? You know, it's like the one young, beautiful boy in the film, Ridley says, how do you know what you can be if you don't know what it means to be what it is, you know? And th th these kids were so spontaneous with their responses. We were just ecstatic with their insight. It was incredible. 
Absolutely. And that quote stayed with me as a similar quote from a young woman who said, I am who I am because of the books that I've read. There is this connection that the young people are making between the creation of one's sense of self, one's identity, and the yes. books one reads. So if you take away those books, it will impact their sense of identity, won't it? Absolutely, it will. It's scary for kids. I think when I made the film with Sheila Evans, and she was just such a brilliant, caring mind, what is extraordinary, and her insight is just continuously exhilarating and illuminating for me because she never stops thinking about things. And when she saw Grace Lynn, the 101-year-old activist, go before her school board, she was determined to give voice to this issue. I grew up in the late 80s. My brother came out as gay. And had he not had access to stories about his own identity, I, I worry about kids. If the books are being demonized and restricted, and there are kids struggling with their sexual identity, and they can't read a book like in Tango Makes Three about two penguins that keep an egg warm and have a little tango penguin then how are people that are struggling with their sense of self going to find a way into understanding it? These are really important vehicles for people to come to a place of self-acceptance and understanding. You mentioned Nikki Giovanni a little earlier and her children's book about Rosa Parks called Rosa, which has been banned. There's a clip of her being interviewed and she's asked, are there any books that should be banned? And she says, no, to ban a book is to give it power over you and there's no word that should have power over you. Words have to be free. It's an interesting statement because here's someone who's built her whole career on words and she's saying words shouldn't have power over you. Words have to be free. So why is it that folks seem so challenged by the power of words? It's what the words mean. It's the interpretation of the word. It can be threatening for some people. People want to control, and if it doesn't fit the mold of what they think is appropriate, if you're not white or Christian, that is threatening to some people. I grew up reading Nikki Giovanni, and when she said that, it was exciting for me because if I had a dream to be, I, my dream would be to be a wordsmith and to come up with words and how they can reflect a moment. And I'm always looking when I'm writing, what other word could I use? How could, how does one interpret this word? It's really what's relative to you what things mean to me might not mean the same to someone else. And so that's why it's open for interpretation. But you don't have to let it overpower you. I mean, words should not be a threat, I think, is essentially what Nikki was saying, that we should welcome the conversation of our differences and celebrate them as best we can. You mentioned this 100-year-old woman, Grace Lynn, whose testimony at a school board meeting in Jacksonville, Florida, bookends the film. And at the end, she says, the freedom to read, which is protected by the First Amendment, is our essential right and duty of our democracy. We're not here to get into the finer points of legal theory, but how is it that these restrictions on books, including book bans, are not unconstitutional under the First Amendment right to free speech? It's a very good question, Ken. It really boils down to jurisdiction. Right. And these school districts have certain rights and privileges and they act on them. There's a long road to get to the First Amendment protection. So it starts and it comes out of circulation and then it's missing for some months. Sometimes books get to come back into the circulation, but it can take six to eight months, if at all. A number of organizations like the ACLU, PEN America, the American Librarians Association, the American Coalition Against Censorship 
are all working on this and empowering the First Amendment to protect these rights, but it's an uphill battle because there are so many cases happening and they're trying, you know, it's case by case. One of the writers from the film, Peter Parnell and Justin Richardson, their book, and Tego Max Street, they're in the middle of a lawsuit right now with Escambia County and Florida. It takes time to fight this, right? So it's really about the jurisdictional privileges and then you have to go back in and then fight to get it reinstated and fight for the First Amendment to prevail in these cases. I think the answers are kind of embedded in the film through the activism of Grace Lynn and these authors. But what can people who see the film or hear about the film do to oppose these restrictions on books in their local public schools and libraries? They can protest. They can go to school board meetings like Grace Lynn did. Let her activism inspire you. If a hundred one a hundred year old woman at the time she spoke, she was a hundred. She's now a hundred and one. If she can do it on her walk and climb up a, a small mountain of steps to sit in front of her school board and give her statements about what book banning led to in her own personal life. Her husband was killed by the Nazis in World War II. She knows what book burning means and book banning means. So I think we have to get involved and pay attention and play careful and close attention to where it's happening, because this is not just red states. It's happening everywhere. People are getting alarmist about certain books, and one thing leads to another. One person says something just because somebody says something. You really need to check it out to be sure what the content is before you basically remove it, but that's not necessarily what's always happening. So I think people can get involved with the school boards. You can support. If you're too busy, you can give a donation to the ACLU, to the American Librarians Association, to PEN America. PEN America is doing a phenomenal job in this fight, tracking the number of books, actively supporting authors, you know, speak out, let it be known to your local representatives that this is not acceptable, that we want to keep these books in circulation. You could also do a pop-up bookmobile in a neighborhood where it's banned. You'd get a pop-up tent and get tables of the books that are banned. Unfortunately, like in Tennessee, if someone did that, they would be arrested and given a felony. But in other states, that's not the case. I mean, it's even hard for me in 2024 to say that, that like putting out a table of books that are banned in Tennessee could get them a felony charge. So there's a lot you can do. I think just doing what you can do locally and helping kids get these books. Kids want to read these books, find ways to buy the books and donate them. There's many, many different ways to get involved. Finally, we're going to get your hidden gem in a minute for a film that you think doesn't get the attention it deserves. But since this is a film about books, do you have a hidden gem among, let's say, one of the challenged books that is in the film or that was part of your research that you'd like to spotlight here? Oh, there's so many. Oh, I, I mean, we picked, I think it's 39 books we have in the film. And out of the thousands of books, Sheila and I went through them and we picked the ones that we felt so strongly about. Of course, the graphic adaptation of The Diary of Anne Frank. I mean, when I was a kid and I read Anne Frank, it really taught me about how dangerous hate is and how harmful it is. And I so loved Anne Frank. And growing up reading Nikki Giovanni's poetry and learning about Rosa Parks, you know, these were women that inspired me and made me have courage to do the work I do today. You know, a lot of the poetry in the film, Judy Bloom, the list is endless. Beloved, Toni Morrison's work. They all matter to me. I mean, the list goes on and on. I couldn't, I wouldn't want to single out just one because I have a lot of love for so many of them. The Hips on the Drag Queen Go Swish. What could be more fun than that? <laughs> you know? So I love that book. Little Miss Hot Mess. What a great writer. They're all of great importance to me. 
Thank you so much, Trish, for being here and for you and Sheila joining forces to make this film and to show us not only what's happening with this issue, but to introduce us to these young people who are the ones who are being most directly affected. We're all being affected, but the impact on them is perhaps most upsetting. And so thank you for giving them a chance to speak out on this important issue. Best of luck to you with the film. And thanks so much again for being here. Thank you so much. I just wanted to say I'm bringing Graceland, the 101-year activist, to the Oscar luncheon. That's fantastic. She's going to have the books on her walker, roll later, and we're going to be giving out the band books at the luncheon. Wow. (laughs) She'll be the celebrity to watch, no doubt. Yes, we're in this to win this. Do you have a hidden gem, a documentary, maybe a short, maybe not, uh, that you don't think gets the attention that it deserves? Well, unfortunately, Sheila Nevins couldn't be here today because she's getting over COVID. But her hidden gem documentary short is Last Song from Kabul. And her feature documentary would be American Symphony. And my short documentary hidden gem would be Camp Courage. And I agree with American Symphony for the feature. I would add that American Symphony, we were fortunate to interview Matthew Heineman for the podcast, so people can check that out. Top Docs is a production of Wooly Media. This episode was produced by Ken Jacobson and Mike Merrill and edited by Mike. Mike.